All right, well, again, welcome. Uh, we are in week six of our series going through 16 uh, verses on the story of the Bible. And um, I, this, I, I've enjoyed uh, doing this so far. I'll, I'll give a quick recap, not as long as I, I have been, because um, there's just a lot to cover this morning uh, on the topic that, that, that's at hand. Um, uh, but yeah, we, this is the storyline of the Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, you're new to, you're new to hope, you're new to Christianity, you're checking out Christianity, whatever it may be, uh, this is the storyline of the Bible. And it's one big story. I think some of us, if, especially if you grew up in church, you, you heard stories, you knew stories, but everything's about Jesus. The, the whole thing is about Jesus. And so uh, that's what we're just trying to do, just look at the, the main storyline of the Bible, this major uh, theme. And so we started with creation, uh, and looking at how, in the beginning, God, and then he creates human beings, male and female, in his image, and, and things are good, but then sin enters the world with the fall. And, and we have this purpose that we are these image bearers of, of God, but we flee, we reject, we rebel against God. But then even in Genesis 3.15, all the way back at the beginning of the book, right after we sin, and humanity falls into death and despair, God makes a promise that redemption's gonna happen. That someone, that there's going to be, uh, the seed of the woman is going to crush this serpent. Um, and, and we're not there yet, but his name is Jesus. Don't tell anybody, just kidding. And then you get to Abraham, and Abraham, and, and when we think, if you're familiar with the Bible, he's kind of this big, big name, and he's this really cool guy, and he's the father of, of the Israelites, and, but he's a horrible person. But he's not someone that's supposed to be up on a pedestal that we're supposed to emulate. He's not a good guy, but his God is. And God chooses him. Why? Who knows? Why does God choose anybody? Because he loves them. Uh, and so God chooses Abraham and, and says, I'm going to make you the father of the nations that through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And then we get to Judah the king. And Judah, again, is not a good guy. Uh, and he's not a king, but his descendants, his line is going to be, there's going to be someone, the scepter, the, the, the kingdom is not going to depart from, from this tribe of Judah. Not because Judah did anything right or good. And looking at the, the true lion of the tribe of Judah, of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Then last week, uh, Paul uh, preached on the Passover lamb, that as we look at how uh, Israel is being brought out of Egypt and that God before he even sets them free from slavery in Egypt, he says, you're going to do this meal forever. Now let me go show you how powerful I am. You're going to be now free and you're going to eat this meal in remembrance of me every single year. And you're going to kill an innocent lamb and its blood is going to be spilled. It's going to be put on the doorpost and the mantles and, and the death angel is going to pass over you so you can live. And so through the death of an innocent, guilty are saved. And then now this week we are going to Look at the law. What comes to mind when you think of the law? I think of my friend, Law, uh, who is a lawyer. <laughs> it was like, you didn't have a choice. You know what I mean? When your parents name you Law, I don't know what else you're going to do with your life. Uh, um, anyways, what comes to mind, right? Maybe it's this, this Lady Liberty or Lady Justice. Lady Liberty, <laughs> very different statue. <laughs> Lady Justice. I did, I did find this. Um, uh, interesting. The blindfold on there originally was uh, satire that it was that she was so blind to the injustice right in front of her face. But now it's it's kind of evolved into she's impartial to you know uh, you know whatever in things of of weighing the the justice whatever. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so what comes to mind? 
And so I want to, I want to kind of start with this question. Hopefully, well, it will be answered. Now, when we think of law, right, there, there's something in us, right? That just like, ah, right? Whatever, whatever it is we're thinking about, law isn't always like, yay, more laws. Wow. That would be great. Uh, we just don't think that way unless your name is law. We could use more laws in the world. In the, ah. Uh, <laughs> Is the law in and of itself bad? Even evil, right? Is there something intrinsic about law that makes us just hate it? And why? So let's look at this. I want to, before I really jump in, I want to ask this. It's, it's kind of a bigger overarching theological question. This is a, whatever you do, don't Google origin of evil on the Google images because you will have nightmares. <laughs> this was the first image that was uh, not nightmare worthy to put up here. I don't even know what this is. It's some book. I don't know. Uh, origin of sin. That when you, when you look at, okay, go, go back to the garden. When you, when you see like sin enter the world, why? Why did Adam and Eve choose to disobey God? It's this big theological conundrum that doesn't make any sense. Well, why would they do it? Because there's three possibilities when it comes to Adam and Eve choosing the law, because if, if we look at human beings that were created with free will, what does that mean? Free will, according to uh, 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 an old dead guy, said uh, that free will is whatever choice that I make, it's the strongest inclination that I have at a moment. The strongest inclination that I have. When I walked in here this morning, I decided to grab coffee and water. I chose that. Why? Because I'm tired and I'm thirsty, right? Makes sense. But that's my strongest inclination, and so that's what I do. Usually the parents usually sit on this side. Why? Because it's closer to the front, right? There's, we choose, you all chose to sit where you're sitting for some reason. It was further away from everybody else, right? It was close to my friends. It's where I normally sit, whatever it may be. We chose that. Now, sometimes people can force us to do something against our will and, and, and force something like that where I don't have a choice, but when I do have a choice, it's my strongest inclination at any given moment. So if that's the case, then why in the world would Adam and Eve choose to commit sin? One of the first options is that Adam and Eve were created with the inclination to do bad, to do evil, to commit sin. Well, if that's the case, if they were created to be bad, then they're off the hook. God cannot hold humanity responsible for their actions if they didn't have a choice, if they were just inclined to do bad. If their strongest inclination, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve at that moment, was to disobey God because that was their, their inclination, well, then God is the one at fault. So that one doesn't work. It just doesn't check out. It can't. The second one is then God created Adam and Eve neutral. The problem with that is that they would be paralyzed because something can't come from nothing, right? There's a the theological Latin phrase, maybe you've heard it, when, in the beginning when God created, he, he creates ex nihilo, right? Out of nothing. But even that doesn't come from nothing. The universe that God creates has to come from something and it comes from him. And, and even God had to choose something before he does it. His inclination was to create and therefore he does and so when you're neutral, you, you're not inclined to do good or bad. You simply can't do anything because you have no inclination. If you have no inclination, then nothing can be done. And so that one just doesn't check out. I can't freely choose anything if I'm paralyzed by my indecision. 
The third position, which is orthodox, is that Adam and Eve were created with the inclination to be good. That this is what the church has taught for thousands of years, that Adam and Eve were created good and to be good, but how in the world do they choose to do evil? No clue. No idea. The other two don't check out. The third one, I guess, has to be the only possibility. And what I would suggest is that it's the introduction of law that makes them go, oh, yeah, I don't like that. And even someone that's good will do something wrong when law <laughs> is brought in to the picture. You remember when we were kids, if you went to the, uh, if you were like in, in, a, in like a bathroom, like your school bathroom, um, I remember they posted uh, a, 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 a law, a rule that said, please stop or stop. Probably not please. They probably didn't say please. Just stop wetting toilet paper and throwing it on the ceilings. Remember that? Did everyone do that? You know what I'm talking about? Just these giant toilet paper wads. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what that meant. And I looked up and I see wet toilet paper wads in the ceiling. And I was like, that looks awesome. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Right? I didn't even know about it. Another example is uh, I said at the beginning of the sermon, do not Google origin of evil on images. Did anybody Google it? Oh, Chaz, you let me down, man. I thought for sure you would do it. I thought for sure he would do it. He's doing it now. Okay, yeah, I'll give you a minute. Right? There's something in you. They're like, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Right? There's something in us, though, that when we see law, when we hear it, it just, ah, uh, now, now I want to do it. I wasn't even thinking about it, but now I do. Don't eat of that tree. I wasn't even thinking about eating that tree, but now I kind of want it. So this week's sermon, I know it was kind of a longer intro this morning, but this week's sermon, law, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. It's not true. We're going to look at this. Exodus 19, 4 through 5. What is the law? How does it come from? And this is from the series that we've been looking at now, then the law, looking at Exodus 19. Obey my voice and keep my covenant, and you shall be my treasured possession. What's interesting about this image, at least, is there's a pretty significant word that's missing at the beginning of it, and it's the word if. <laughs> if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, right? Because there's a, a choice that's being made. That Israel in this context is given the choice to obey or not obey. And if you do obey, if, then you are going to be my treasured possession. But we know, well, we're going to see how this story goes. So let's look at four different uses of law. And there's probably more we could really pick this apart. Uh, but I just want to look at this. Four different uh, understandings or uses of the law. I just wrote a law unto ourselves. These are things, laws and rules that I make up for me um, that, that I hold myself to that don't necessarily, it's not good or bad or right or wrong or sinful or good, any of that. It's just this is something that I have. Um, we've, and we were all taught a lot of these laws. A lot of us in here that are millennials, I'm learning that our parents used to make up laws uh, just to get us to do why. I don't even know why. Uh, for example, uh, driving, you're not allowed to drive barefoot. That's not a law. Like why, why were my parents telling me you're not allowed to drive barefoot? Right? Because what, well, I mean, think about this. Police officer pulls me over. Son, cause I'm still young. Son, do you know why I pulled you over today? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I know. Let me look at your feet. Um, I need to see your feet. 
I just, it's not a thing. Uh, we make up rules. The one that I, I have, this is just a, something personally that I have done. I don't drink alcohol on Saturdays. Uh, not for some religious weird, you know, Sabbath thing or whatever. Uh, just because I preach early on Sunday morning and I just want to be clear headed. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. Not to like, how much you drinking on Saturday? Well, I don't know. None. Uh, and you're like, I've been with you before on a Saturday night. I remember, yeah, maybe, maybe I break it every once in a while. But I can't judge somebody for imbibing on a Saturday or not imbibing on a Saturday. It does not make one better or worse. It becomes a problem is that when we hold people to our own rules or family rules or whatever it may be. Another way that we can look at law is societal laws. All right, and these are laws that are meant to suppress lawlessness in a good way. Uh, this last weekend, I drove, I did the math, I drove 20 hours in the car, driving for 20 hours in a 48-hour period. Just a long, long weekend. Uh, my, my grandmother passed away, and she lives in Illinois, and it was just a long, long weekend, and it was a good thing. My, my grandma loved Jesus with all her heart, and it was, a, it was really a great, great time, to be honest with you. Um, and, uh, but the societal laws, right? It, it, there's speed limits. The posted speed limits 55, I have this thing that I always say to myself, eight is great, nine's a fine. That's like my thing when I'm driving. Like I'll go eight miles an hour over the limit, but nine, you're going to get a fine. I mean, that just seems that's just been my track record. You get up there a little too much, you're going to get pulled over, right? And so that's, that's just kind of been, been my thing. But that's, that's ridiculous, right? Because I know I'm going to go eight over. <laughs> I'm going to break the law eight miles an hour over the limit, and I'll be okay, but if there was no posted speed limit, I could have only been in the car for 15 hours instead of 20. You can, I would have, I would have been going. Right? They're there to suppress that, to, to, to slow things down. Now the difference is, this is societal laws is anyone can break them at any point at any time they want. Right? Now gonna, there's going to be some consequences usually when you break these laws. When you get caught at least. And that's the whole point of these. But then the law that we're going to be specifically looking at today is this mosaic law. Or specifically, and I put quotations on there because we, we, we call this the law of Moses, right? He comes down with the Ten Commandments. But Moses didn't write the law. They're not his laws. They're God's laws. And God comes out of the cloud and says, he writes them with his finger on the stone and gives them to Moses to give to the Israelites. And so God then comes and he gives them this, this law. And so this is Exodus 19. I'm going to read one through nine. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai and they set out from Rephidim and they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him in front of the mountain and said, this is what you are to say, the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. And I love this phrase, it's very poetic. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. All right, so I'm going to just pause there before we get to our, our verses. All right, so God saves them, saves them from imminent death from the Egyptians, lets them cross the Red Sea, 
uh, and, and, is, and saves them. And now they're on the way to the promised land. They're not there yet, but they're on their way to the promised land. And God says, I did all these things for you. And now I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to show up, but only Moses can come up, up in this mountain. Matter of fact, I want you to put ropes all the way around this mountain. If any person or animal touches it, they are going to die. Stay away. Only Moses is allowed to come near me because I chose him to do this. Not because he's better, And then we get this verse, our verse for today. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so we get these 10 commandments. And so we previously have already looked at through Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed. But then Israel, you will be my treasure, treasured possession if, if you obey all these laws. And it's not just 10, there's hundreds of laws that God is about to give. That if, you could almost say that the Israelites, although they are freed from slavery of, of, of working and as being a slave, they're kind of out of Egypt and into the frying pan, right? They're under the microscope now of God saying, yeah, you're free, but here's what you're going to do. Here's how you have to live. And if you don't, there are consequences, dire consequences. He says, don't covet. That's one of the big 10. Don't covet. How do you not covet? Guilty. And the majority of the Old Testament story is Israel failing over and over and over to live up to this covenant, right? The covenant that God makes with Abraham was unconditional. God stakes his own deity on the fact that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations is that, and that through him, every nation will be blessed. God stakes his deity on that truth, on that, on that covenant with Abraham. But with Moses, it's very conditional. I will bless you if you keep, and I will prosper you, but if you don't, bad things. And we see over and over, country comes in and takes over Israel, kicks them out of the promised land. They fight, and there's famines and wars. And all these, but just every once in a while, there's a little blip of someone who rises and says, no, let's follow after God. And we see them rise back to prominence, and then again, they just boom, back and forth, back and forth. Because it's conditional. And we see over and over and over that they just can't do it. God shows up and says, do this and live. And they don't. So then we get to this idea that the Apostle Paul might call the law of Christ. All right, because that's old covenant. Yeah, yeah, it's Old Testament stuff. We're not in that. Well, the covenants are still true, but there's been a new covenant in Christ that's superseded the old. But doesn't Christ say things? Doesn't he command us to do things? Doesn't Jesus give laws? Doesn't the apostle Paul and Peter and James and John, don't they give the church rules and regulations? And so does that mean we don't have to do anything? What's the purpose? Is the law evil? Is it bad? I'm going to let the apostle Paul answer that. And, uh, and I'm just going to try to try to read this as best I can. It's kind of a longer chunk here that I'm going to read from Romans chapter 7. But I think the Apostle Paul 
answers this perfectly because there's a struggle. Again, the apostle Paul is, is Jewish. He grew up Jewish, obeying all the laws and being the best of the best of, of the Jewish religion. And then he meets Jesus and he's like, oh, all of that was about him. And so now them supersedes that. But he's going to talk about it. What's the point of the law? What's the point of all these rules and regulations? What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, right? Don't put wet toilet paper on the ceiling. I wouldn't even, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's what Paul's talking about. Probably not wet toilet paper, but other things. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, right? my strongest inclination, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang in my life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So this law is holy and righteous, but it brings death because it points out how sinful I really am. I can't do it. Some theologians will argue that this law of Moses, that the law is actually grace, that God shows to Israel and he says, here's the law, do this and live. Deuteronomy says, this is not too hard. You can do this, you can obey. But what we inevitably find out is that they can't. And what the apostle Paul says here and in Galatians, that over and over that you, this is bad. This condemns you to death and to sin. These are more chains. You were freed from physical slavery in Egypt, but now you're going to be bound into slavery by the law. Doesn't work. In some ways, there's grace in law and the fact that God shows Israel who he is. Other nations didn't have that. But yet this is suppressive, these laws. By its very nature, law is opposite of grace and freedom. The Apostle Paul continues, Did that which is good, the law then, become death to me? By no means, God forbid, may it never be. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what was good, the law, to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. It is because of law that Paul, myself, becomes a, we become aware of our sinfulness because my strongest inclination at any moment, seemingly more often than not, is to choose, I choose freely to break God's laws. Paul continues, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I Want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Tracking with them here? As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Paul is saying, my strongest inclination is sinful, and yet I see God, and I want to do that, but I'm a slave to this, and I, I can't. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. There's something in him that he still just chooses sin, even though he loves God and wants to pursue God. And I think that if you're a believer in here this morning, they say, yeah, I, I, I call that Tuesday. I call that every day. I don't want to do these things. I just, man, I, but, I, but I'm choosing to do this. Oh, made, the devil's not making me do this. I'm choosing this, but I don't want to. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Let me illustrate it this way. A lot of you know I played D3 football. Uh, I was quite an athlete uh, back in the day. Uh, my junior year, if you don't know football, it's okay. I'm going to maybe, maybe you'll learn, learn a couple things today. Uh, played for Maranatha Baptist Bible College. Uh, may have heard of it before. <laughs> uh, here's the point. When I went, I played on offense when I first got there. I played wide receiver. Uh, and then um, uh, my junior year, I wasn't getting playing time. And it was quite frustrating. I thought I should have been playing more. I think every athlete thinks that, that they should be having more playing time. But it was very frustrating. And about halfway through my year, I went to my wide receiver coach and, and uh, just said, Hey, what can I do? And he was like, you got it. Can you get faster? I'm like, I don't think I can just do that. Um, no. And, um, uh, I used to stand right next to him. And when a wide receiver was overthrown, when I was on the bench, I would just be like, I bet if he was six, two, he would have caught that. I used to, always, I used to say it to him. <laughs> I would have caught that. Uh, <laughs> but he didn't put me in. He wouldn't put me in. So I went to him and I said, can I switch to defense? Because at least then I'll know why I'm not playing. You know, I've never played a snap of defense in my life. And he's like, well, you got to ask the defensive coach. So I go over to the defense coach, Coach Mo. Hey, Coach Mo, can I play defense with you? He's like, you can switch to defense, but you're not going to play. I'm like, great. Love it. Makes sense. Checks out. So I switch over to defense and, and I got a couple plays in here and there when he was yelling at somebody for making a mistake. You're so bad. I'm going to put silver in. You know? <laughs> That was kind of how it was, right? Well, before the, there's three games left of the season, my junior year, and a bunch of our linemen, defensive linemen had been injured. And, and my defensive line coach said, you know, Brian, just jump in here, be a body. And on Fridays, we would do games. Game day was Saturday. Friday practice, we just do kind of a, a walk through, a run through, no, no hitting, no, no contact, but it was full speed, just no, no contact. And so I get there and I'm playing defensive end on the line and uh, snap and I'm, and I'm just running circles around this tackle. And I don't know if it was because I was just a lot smaller than the guys he was used to. I don't know what was going on, but every play I was in the backfield in the, in the quarterback's face, couldn't touch him. So I was like blocking his vision, you know, trying to, so he couldn't throw the ball like a jerk. 
And, and my, the, the offensive coach that had, but wasn't playing me yells at me and he says, high school Harry, right? He called me high school Harry. He's like, cut it out. He's like, get off the field. But then my defensive line coach was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't tell my guy to get off the field. That right isn't your offense. This is my guy. No, Brian, you're going to stay here. Matter of fact, I've started at defensive end the rest of the season and the whole next year. It was a lot of fun. I loved it. Uh, and, and because and here's the point. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that you've got a, an old master, right? You, 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 before you were, a, you were a slave. You were only on offense. And when coach said, get down and give me 20, you got down and you did 20. You didn't have a choice in it. This is your only option. You obeyed this old master of sin and flesh. But then Jesus comes and he saves you, puts you on defense. And so when that old coach, that old master says, Silver, get off the field, I can look him in the eye and go, no. But you know what my first instinct was? When when I hear my coach say, Silver, get off the field, it was like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I, and, I, and I needed my new master, my new coach to say, stop. He doesn't own you anymore. I do. And that's what Christ says. Stop listening to the sin and the flesh that you are so inclined to do. You can now choose to say no. I don't want that. I serve a new master. I wear a new name. And as we've gone through in Ephesians and, and that this is a new walk of life, this is a new realm. It's not just do this and live, be better, be good, obey Jesus, be a good person. This is a way of life. And we just sang the lyrics, right? Freely chosen by the God, now I freely choose to obey. That is a radically different way of thinking than I got to do this. I got to be a good person so God will love me. I'm no longer bound by that old master of sin and the law. And so the Apostle Paul continues in the next chapter. Therefore, whatever thing I just said, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. There's nothing that I'm guilty of. There's a difference theologically in, 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 our, in our language between justification and pardoning. If someone is pardoned by, by a mayor, I don't know if mayors can pardon, but a, a senator, a president, somebody's clearly guilty of something, and then they get a pardon, right? So they're, they're still guilty. They just don't have to pay the consequences of it. Justification is no condemnation that it is as if I never even did the thing that was wrong. It's completely erased. It's got nothing on me. And so now I'm free to obey. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, right? Do this, live, be better, be perfect. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. This innocent lamb blood sacrifice, perfect because I couldn't do it. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we see that the law is no longer do this and live. It is now, it's done and you want to obey. Now you need to, you should, you ought, 
Forget all that. It's a change, change of life. There's a phrase, a theological term. I know we've kind of used some, some long, bigger theological terms this morning, but one of the phrases that is thrown out that I have been accused of is I'm an antinomianist. And what that means is anti means no, and nomini, I have no idea what that means. But I think it means law, okay? Now, I do know that's antinomian means there's no law, right? So, so people would walk in here and say, Brian, you're telling people they don't have to obey the law. And I would say, yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. So you don't believe that the law, that, that you're, you have laws that you need to obey? Oh, no, no, I, I believe that way. The difference is I now want to obey them, not I have to. No, forget all that garbage. I'm not bound by that anymore. You want to call me an antinomianist? Go ahead. Be my guest. I'm not. I'm free from the law. I'm not bound by it. And so the law is still there. But my reason for obeying it has radically changed. Going back to Exodus 19, this is as Moses is now bringing these laws to his people. So, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and said before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Uh, he just said, thou shalt not lie, and you just lie. That didn't take long. So Moses brought their answers back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud. So the people will hear me speaking to you and will always put their trust in you. And then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. One of the commentaries was just too good to not talk about this week. Peter N says this, Israel will soon be privy to a private conversation Moses had with God in chapter three, it's the burning bush. It is important to God that Israel learn to trust Moses, the mediator. He is the link between his own glory, which no one may gaze upon, and the people he has come to deliver. We went through Hebrews, we saw Jesus is greater than Moses. That, that Jesus or Moses had to be hid in the cleft of the rock, right? There's an image that we got over there that God said, I'm going to pass by. I'm going to let you see where I once was. I'm going to show you the afterburners of my glory. And you're going to look at it and your face is going to shine. And then Jesus comes and he says, no, I am a better mediator because I and the father are one. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he stands there in between a perfect, holy, unapproachable God. And he puts his hand on our shoulder and he doesn't keep us at arm's length. He brings us together and he says, Dad, this is your son. This is your daughter. Let's eat together. That is drastically different than Moses. Keep them at his arms like, don't even let them touch the mountain. I just want them to see so that they can trust you. This is a phrase, a, a verse that I quote every week. I mean, I've been doing this for years, probably three or four years now. I've ended a service by saying this. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You've been set free to be free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Slavery of the law of trying to obey and be better and be good. And the law and the slavery to just my sin. I can choose to be right and be good and be with Jesus. 
It's my choice now. So why then do we go back? Why do we choose to submit ourselves to that over and over and over? It's for freedom that we have been set free. Paul doesn't stop there. I do when I go, because this next verse is just always a little weird to talk about circumcision every week, but uh, Paul does, and so we're going to talk about it real quick. <laughs> Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. <laughs> all right. What? <laughs> What's happening here? All right, it's, a, it's like a weird turn, Paul. Uh, all right, let me explain. It was Jewish law that if you were a male and you were born, that on the eighth day, you needed to be circumcised. It was a, a physical mark of being the covenant people of God. And so Paul now is saying, right here in verse three, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. What's he saying? That if I start at an early age (laughs) to be circumcised or even later in life, convert to Judaism and say, oh, I'm gonna do this thing now. I now need to subject myself to not just that law, all the laws, all of them. So if you're gonna, if you think that you, because because back then there were these two two parties that the Judaizers that said no, there's still some laws and things that we need to obey. That's part of our Jewish heritage. But yeah, we believe in Jesus, but you still got to do these things to to be like in. And there's people are like, no, you don't. That's that's old. That's old covenant stuff. We're we're in the new covenant with Christ. And he says, so if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna say no, no, no. I need to live under the law. Therefore, you need to be circumcised. I need to tell other people I need to be circumcised. Then you are obligated to obey the whole law. You want to do that? Then you need to do all of it and then you'll live. Go ahead. Go ahead and try. And the apostle Paul even says in Galatians, but our ancestors tried this over and over and over and they failed over and over and over. Why would we subject the Gentiles and every other ethnicity to that? You can't do it. We know we can't do it. And Paul is saying, if you're going to live by the law, you're going to die by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Because Jesus says, yeah, we're, we're, we're free from all that. We're free from that. For through the Spirit, we eagerly, eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. How can we contextualize this? That neither giving to the poor or not giving to the poor has any value. That either going to church or not going to church has any value. You're volunteering in my community or not volunteering in my community, right? The list goes on and on and on. It has no value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So when we see someone in need, we don't help them because Jesus said, blessed are the poor and to help the poor, we help them because we love our neighbor as ourselves. There's been a heart change and we help out of the love through faith in Christ. And so in conclusion, gospel application, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of the law, the yoke of sin, 
And again, you might say, Brian, you, you say this every week. Yeah, I know I do. And again, like every week, because I need this. I need to be reminded that I've been free from the law. I need to be reminded because I listen to my old master and I choose the sin every day. I need to be reminded of the gospel and the freedom that I have in Christ because I think I'm better than a lot of people. I need this. I need to be reminded of the gospel and the freedom that I have in Christ because there's a lot of times where I think I'm unworthy. A lot of times I don't think I can even bow my head and pray because of how sinful I am. It's only through Christ. There's another hymn that we sing quite often, the phrase, and I know I've shared this a lot. I just love it. I'm going to get it tattooed at some point. Don't quote me on that. Don't make that a law. It says this, When through grace in Christ my trust is, justice smiles and says no more. And that has a wild phrase. And not lady justice, not the social or societal law, but the God of the universe that Romans 3 says that he is both just and the justifier, that he takes on flesh and he lives under the law and fulfills the law and dies so that we don't have to. He is both just and the justifier. And so if through grace, my faith and trust in Christ is the God of the universe, the just and the justifier, he, he smiles and says, no more. Stop it. You, you can't add anything. I love you. You can't take anything away. I love you. What? He smiles. says, no more. As we do every week, we're going to have communion. We do this to celebrate the body and the blood of Christ. That Jesus is with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal of this lamb that was slain. He eats this meal, still with his disciples. He says, hey, our people have been doing this for five, 6,000 years. We're going to change it. We're going to do something new that no longer is going to be the blood of an animal that's going to be shed. I want you to drink this juice that's going to represent my, my blood that is shed for you. It's no longer a lamb, an innocent lamb. It's going to be an innocent God-man. This is going to be this bread that represents the body of me that's going to be broken for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And we now get a chance to do that, to remember this new covenant of freedom that we have in Christ. And that makes us want to run to him. I want to love you and I want to live the way you've taught. I would ask, if you, if you have these elements this morning, I would just ask you're a follower of Jesus. If you say, yeah, man, I, that, that Jesus, I'm, I'm cool with that Jesus. And if you say, man, I've never believed in that Jesus, but that guy I can get behind, man, I would love for you to partake of these elements today. I would love to partake of these, this meal that Jesus instituted in his own body and blood thousands of years ago. And there's nothing magical about these elements, just stale wafer and some old juice. But man, what it represents is the body and the blood of Christ that we get to remember the finished work that he accomplished on the cross for us so many years, years ago so that we can be free from the yoke of the law. Let me pray and then uh, Zach will come back up, sing a few more songs and we'll be dismissed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for, again, just our time together this morning. I pray that as we partake of these elements, that our hearts and minds and thoughts would just be reflected on the finished work of your son. That as he died on the cross, as he yells out his final words, it is finished. That we would remember as we partake of these elements that I can't do anything to add to my salvation. I can't do anything to take away from my salvation. I sin every day, but you are faithful to forgive. So God, I pray that we wouldn't take this time for granted, that we would remember your son and remember his body and blood that was broken for us as we remember and do this in remembrance of his finished work on the cross. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.